What do you worry about the most? What's that one thing that keeps coming back to you? That one thing that maybe keeps you up at night? And even if you find reprieve from that one worry in your life, whether it's for a day, a week, a month, a year, it continues to come back and be that top of your mind again. What do you worry about the most? This morning, we're talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where hundreds, perhaps even thousands, are gathered to listen to this message that Jesus says, I have a completely different way for you to live. You've heard it was said this, but I tell you this. And right after Jesus was speaking about storing up treasures in heaven, he was telling his listeners, do things not with the physical right in front of you in mind, but for it, with eternity in mind. Store up for yourself treasures that will last forever. And perhaps before even someone verbally asks the question, Jesus goes into this next section because he knows what we're going to think. He knows that after we hear this message of store up treasures in heaven, do these things that are different from how most people live, we're going to say, wait, what about me? What, what am I, if, I, if I'm doing all of this, what am I going to eat? What money am I going to have for, for clothes, what I'm going to wear? And this is what Jesus said. If you want to pull out your Bibles or your app, or we're going to have it on the screen in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? or the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, I ask that in just the next few minutes uh, that we have talking about this, that you would open our hearts and our minds and help us to dig deep into those places of worry and anxiety that we're constantly faced with, that you would show us how to posture and prioritize our lives to address those and have you redeem those well. In your name we pray, amen. Now back to that question, what do you worry about the most? I'd like everybody to do this. If you have a pen and paper, pull it out. And if not, pull out your phone. Right now, everybody do that. And I want you to write down what your biggest worry is. 
most of us probably worry about multiple things, but just try to narrow it down to that one thing that seems to come above the others. Now, this is a private thing. I'm not going to ask you to share or ask anybody to raise their hand. You might even shield it from someone next to you. I don't know. That's fine. But write down that biggest worry and try to do it just in one word. Your biggest worry might be a person. It might not just be a thing. If your biggest worry is a person, write down that person's name. Just in open honesty, that when I think about this question, when I think about what is my biggest worry, um, that just seems to continually be a thing. It's, it's money. That, that's, that's my thing. That's the thing that I have to continue to try to give over and over and over and over again to God, but it continues you know, to come up. I work in ministry. Um, wife stays home and homeschools. We have seven kids. As you can imagine, just things are often pretty tight. And it just constantly comes up. It's, it's constantly the thing that would keep me up at night. And this summer, just with the story of our family and um, moving, and we ended up just having to have two houses for a few months. So as you can imagine, doing this, this situation pushed on that bruise for me more than I ever felt before, this worry about money. And I was set to preach at a church for the ministry I work at in Iowa. And I said, yeah, you know, I want to you know, do what you guys are doing in your sermon series. So just tell me whatever topic you want me to preach about and I'll prepare you know, for that. And so they send me this passage of Matthew 6. <laughs> do not worry. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> but the Lord knew. And I was able to just very um, honestly with them and the same that I'm doing with you now is... I needed this passage perhaps more than anybody else. I needed Jesus saying this, these things about do not worry. Now, a few things that I think he's not saying, he's not talking about this just superficial um, anxiousness. Maybe we crowd our lives too much and make silly decisions that makes us anxious. I also don't think he's talking about this serious mental health issues that some people are dealing with. But what I do think this passage is directly addressing is our posture towards the things in our life that we cannot control and our priority to the things that we can control. Okay, he's talking about our posture and our priorities. First, about posture. In verse 26, it says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The first posture that we need to take when we look to our God is we are children of God. And the, we have a God that loves us so very much. We talk about our value. If you're not sure what your value is, you need to look at scripture because Jesus made that very, very clear. Oftentimes we say something, we know the value of something by what somebody is willing to pay for it, right? You may have this hot rod in your garage that you think is worth a million dollars, but unless somebody's ready to pay a million dollars for it, it could be argued that, okay, it's probably not actually worth that much unless somebody's willing to fork that over. If we're not sure what our value is, God did put a price tag on it. He sent his one and only son to die, paying the highest price, because that is the value that he has on you. Child of God. 
And as children of God, we look to someone, not just with, oh, thank you, it's all about me, this value, but no, now I look up to God who is where he is seated on the throne in our lives. I've said this on the stage before about the Sabbath. I love preaching about the Sabbath because I truly believe that when it says God rested on the seventh day, it's not because he needed a nap or he was tired, but we see evidence in many scriptures. One is Psalm 132, verses 14. It says, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I sit enthroned, for I have desired it. God didn't just set up the world and sit back and make some popcorn and watch it all play out. No, God created the world through day one through six, and on the seventh, he rested on the throne, giving life meaning and purpose and value because he's the one in charge. Now, listen, I don't know what you all do Monday through Saturday, but I do know that unless you are living your Monday through Saturday with God seated on the throne, then eventually you will find that the things and the toils of life will be void of meaning, purpose, and value until we get our posture back with the Lord seated on the throne. So that's our posture. And then we look at our priority. You see, the reason why I feel like I struggle with the, the money worry so much is because I feel like some of it is kind of in my control. Right, do you understand that? Maybe even about your worry. Look at your word. Is your, is your worry something that you can actually, can, you feel like you can control a little bit? Now, it's, it's good that we all keep in mind that I mean, we are one tragedy away from realizing that actually nothing is in our control, right? We're one car accident, one doctor's diagnosis, one catastrophic event away from knowing that, wow, I really don't have nearly as much control as I thought. But when I think about back back at my, my worry, money, I say, well, I, I can make some decisions. I could spend on this. I could not spend on this. I could change my internet provider. That might be a little worse service, but I save a few bucks. And there's all of these like thousands of different decisions you can make that all kind of play into that worry. And so not just our posture on letting go of the things we can't control, but Jesus gives us priority in the things that we can. The Bible gets a lot of flack for being this big book of rules, right? In fact, you may have even thought this before, or certainly heard other people say, it. it's like the, the Bible's just a bunch of thou shalt not. You know, why would I wanna follow that silly book that's just beating me over the head, telling me all these things that I'm doing wrong? And if that is your perspective or was your perspective, I get it. But the Bible is such an amazing book of grace even in the Old Testament. My favorite verse in the Old Testament is Exodus 20, verse two. In Exodus 20, we have the 10 commandments, okay? This is like the epitome of the thou shalt not of the Bible, right? But yet, verse two, this is right before it goes into all the different commandments, the 10 major commandments. Verse two, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Right there, before the Israelites even knew the commandments, even had the law, God says, and we have this beautiful truth of God moved first. God came down and he saved his people from Egypt out of the land of slavery. God loved and God moved first. And then he has his people and he says, now I have a better way for you to live. 
here are these commandments that will set you going in the right direction. And you see, I think Jesus is doing the exact same thing in this sermon. He's saying, you are living like this, but now that you have Jesus, now that you have me, now that God sent me in this world to fulfill the law, I have a better way for you to live. Therefore, do not worry about your life, about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. In, in this theme of grace, we see that when Jesus gives us something not to do, he doesn't just leave us in that, but he always gives us something to do in its place. What does he say? Jesus says, even on the things that you can control, what do you do? You seek first his kingdom. And all of these things will be added to you as well. Look at your word one more time. And we're going to share through a video the story of something that happened to us very, um, that I know a lot of you are still going through and right in the middle of. And that was hard for us to even think about when we should share this, but we felt prompted to and we would. But where is your posture and where is your priority on seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? And then all these things will be added to you as well. My name's Tom Sears, and this is my wife, Kelly. And we have, us and our children, have been a part of Lebanon Christian Church for over three years now. Our story is about the state buying our home. We learned that our very good friends that feel like family and a number of people in our church were going to stay in that situation. It was an exciting time to share our story of what God did and how he provided for our family. And so I felt very complicated about sharing our story in a time where I knew that our friends are not only still hurting, but they would remain hurting for the next 16 months at least. When we heard of the news, got the email and the letter and the phone call um, that next morning he spoke a prophecy over our family and he spoke it from psalm 126 when the lord brought back the captives to zion so he he paralleled this story with our story so the israelites god's people were exiled and pushed out of their own land and then brought back to new homes. So he, he compared us to the Israelites, my people being exiled and pushed out. When the Lord brought back these captives, they were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the people said, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He was saying, you will cry, but you will reap in joy. He goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, carrying a story that's about to bloom. He will return with songs of joy, carrying bundles of grain with him. Those seeds, that story that all of us have, 
will turn into grain and we'll be carrying them. So absolutely beautiful. And it spoke so much hope into our family. And I knew that what is to come would have us dreaming and laughing and our tongues would have joy. But there's this part that says the nations will say the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has just been whispering that there are so many times in the Bible where it says for the prophecy to be fulfilled, this must happen. And so he reminded me of that. Kelly, remember when I spoke this prophecy over you, there was the part about the people and the nations that were delighted and shocked. Like, look what God has done for you. People can't say that. People can't celebrate with you unless you share. So my dear child, share your story. This past September, when we learned from the state that development would be literally going on top of our home, it felt incredibly devastating. Yeah, and complicated too, because of course there's all these different rumors of what it's going to be. And at first we thought there'd be an airport in our backyard and we wouldn't be able to, you know, leave or something like that. But, you know, as, as time went on, it just became clear that, okay, one way or another, we're going to have to move. And it took a long time to kind of come to grips with that. And there's just a lot of unknowns the entire time. We took a very, like, just proactive stance and started looking, and especially Kelly, um, looking and seeking and... It was even hard, you know, with our marriage. It brought definitely, it definitely brought tension, you know, but between us. Yeah, it brings out your personality types. Um, I was made like a thoroughbred horse, like made to run. Like, tell me to do anything. Tell me to solve world hunger. Do not tell me to wait. But this situation was very much, um, hey, here's the devastation platform. Um, now we just wait in every sense because the Lord took us to this home that was, um, I mean, in a sense taken away. I feel like it felt even more surprising. I thought he provided it, um, for the long haul. And so to pretty quickly, just three years later, you know, the different approaches when you're kind of put in a survival mode especially when you have a big family. I'm a little more laid back anyway. So, you know, her, Kelly, seeking out and doing all these things to be proactive and me saying, well, let's just see where the cards fall. That was where some of the tension was. And then you come back one evening with an address of a house that you super, super love. There was just this season and there were a lot of tears and hard conversations with the Lord. So soon after that, I had Noah with me and uh, we were shopping at Meijer and we were in the produce section. And I remember feeling the prompting to drive back home through the country and look at houses. And I remember being like, Oh my goodness. Like it was so strong and so easy for me to identify. Like I just got permission to do what I've been wanting to do for months. Like this is so exciting. And you know, I'm telling Noah, my poor 10 year old, we're going to drive home. 
and mommy's gonna look at houses. And if I see a house that I love, I'm gonna say the address and you're gonna write it down. Well, of course we couldn't find paper, but he did have his Latin cards with him because he's working on them. I said, you know what, let's just use your Latin cards. And of course he was like, mom, like I worked so hard on these. I'm like, it's all right, like I'll redo them. He grabbed a pen and so we're flying through the country down this way, down that way, slowing down to, you know, get the number off the mailbox and all the things. And, you know, he's writing them down and there's a learning curve with that. And it just was my favorite memory with Noah because he was just there for it, even though he was so confused. So we get home from that super fun adventure and I searched the first house, which was this one. It was not for sale. None of the houses were for sale. Um, I searched this home and um, immediately was taken back. Uh, there have been things about the first Lebanon home that God provided that I really struggled letting go. I struggled because the Lord brought them in mm -hmm. and for him to take them away of the things that I really, really didn't want to lose. One was a Lego hallway. Like, what is a Lego hallway? And this first Lebanon house, it had a hallway that led to an attic. And so this hallway was not used. And it just, that was their Lego space. And it was just filled with Legos. No one had to see it. No one had to walk over it, rarely. Um, and they could just build and leave stuff. And it was like a thing in our home. Well, lo and behold, this home that I'm searching, one of the first pictures that pops up was a Lego hallway. And I just knew that it was noteworthy that this house that we drove by after I was prompted in the produce aisle had this Lego hallway. So yeah, I come home and tell him all about it and you know, let's jump in the car, let's drive by, I wanna show it to you. And um, of course, there was like a huge fight. And um, I specifically remember, you know, we go in the garage to fight because our house is always full and there's no place to like, just have it out. And as we were arguing, I just audibly heard the spirit say, this is spiritual warfare, you need to just stop. And it was almost awkward, like, Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. And so that next day uh, we ended up uh, deciding that we would write a letter uh, to these perfect strangers to a house that was not for sale. And so we crafted a letter and um, we laughed through the whole thing because there were things we wanted them to know, um, like us having a big family. We wanted them to know we were Christians and. And so with this letter, um, I made a family recipe of pumpkin bread and we packaged it all up cute and dropped it in their mailbox. Half of me was like, this is hilariously insane. These poor people, we are never going to hear from them. But that second half sat in wonder because I knew um, how God had been working and prompting Kelly comes home from writing down these addresses, and I simply hear, okay, I, you know, this house, I love this house so much, and so we look it up, and uh, regretfully, 
you know, I'm not super excited about it. And just because, you know, the logical part of your brain starts kicking in and thinking like, okay, babe, it's not for sale. <laughs> like we don't even have a contract with the state. We're looking at these houses that aren't even for sale. We're gonna get ourselves in trouble, you know, trying to be, you know, kind about it and such. And what I didn't see, and again, just really regretfully, I think how I biffed it is, you know, I've seen the Lord working in Kelly's heart, going from devastated, now like having hope. And rather than leaning into that hope, I just let the, the worldly eyes of how is this ever gonna work out just overcome me so she's like hey do you want to go drive past it and i'm like well you know i'm okay with not but we're we're fine there and obviously that was upsetting to you so we 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 finally decided okay even though it's not for sale even though we don't have something with the with the state like let's just write them a letter what can it hurt besides that maybe they think we're crazy which we are right so drop it off in their mailbox and um, just kind of, you know, give it, give it to God in that way. And sometime very soon, I get um, a message from the individuals that own this, own the house that's not for sale. It was, it was a very nice message, but essentially it said, we got your letter. We've been living in this home for only a few years. This is a home we thought we would live in forever. Just five days ago, we felt like the Lord started speaking to us and saying that we should move. <laughs> And just, of course, completely blown away by that response. And, you know, I instantly feel regret, but doubting, you know, doubting God in that way. But that started, that was Halloween. And I had a phone conversation with the person that owned the house. Yeah, in that text, he's like, let's talk at three and sort details. We were like, <laughs> I know, like, you know, so soon. And that started what was, you know, we're thinking, okay, God's doing all this stuff in our life. Well, God was doing something in the life of this family too. And it was- We're a, very strong Christians as well. Yeah, it was a very beautiful tying in of two different stories. And neither of our families knew what we were doing or knew what God was doing. Mm -hmm. So it started a long conversation with them trying to figure that out because he was worried that he would be upset to say, you know, we, we had a senior that needed to, you know, finish out well. They had a senior that needed to finish out well. Three different times, it seemed like this whole thing was gonna go in the garbage. They had a lot of property. We, once we finally got into the nitty gritty, um, it, it was just gonna be too expensive. You know, we, we couldn't work it out. And again, it was a whole nother time where we're like, Lord, we feel like you're moving in our lives. It seems like so clear that you're leading us this way. How are you leading us this way? if like literally nothing is gonna work. And so essentially we, after months of talking with them, seeming like everything's gonna work out, we essentially said, no, um, we're so sorry. And we said it really nicely, but you know, we're so sorry. It's not gonna work out, the finances, et cetera. And um, immediately right after we sent that text, we felt like it was so wrong. It would have been considered like unwise financially to invest in the home and all the acres that came with it. And so we just really struggled. Um, when do you throw it to the wind and trust the Lord? When do you insert wisdom? We didn't know what door would open and how it would work. And So the day after we sent them the text saying, I'm so sorry, this isn't gonna work out. They got back to us and essentially denied our no <laughs> and said, I talked to, uh, about this to my wife and her response was, 
you know, I'm really disappointed, but not so much that we can't sell our house, but that they can't get the house. And it seems like this needs to work out. And so they said, why don't we keep talking and see if there's something, some unique way that we can make this work out. They parceled off some of the land and just sold us the land that had the home on it. And it worked out like perfectly in all the different ways. Another kind of humbling thing that happened along the way is they started to have doubts about what God was doing in their life. And they came back to us and said, we're so appreciative because we feel like God has used your family to show us that we need to move. And there were some personal things going on with, with their story. And so that, that was so humbling. And so thinking like, oh yeah, of course, this isn't just all about us, but God is doing something you know, in their lives too and working out in, in this way. We couldn't believe it. But all along the story, there were just little hints of God saying, no, keep, keep doing this, um, trust me. And then one of them was that, was that Latin card that Noah wrote down the address to. Yeah, so days after, um, you know, I had this little Latin card with the address of the home, and it dawned on me like, hold on, there was a Latin word on that card. I just wonder what that word is. And it was a Latin word that means I am. And I just, I think I laughed out loud and, and then kind of moved into this like, oh my goodness. Um, and then I did months of Bible study of, you know, that, that part is highlighted like crazy in here. And what does that really mean? And it was like, wow, it blew my socks off. I still have the card like beside my bed because, um, you know, references will say when that like that's his biggest his biggest name like his most powerful name and it's seldomly used but when it's used um, whew, it could make me cry um, it's a time that communicates um, power and trust and involvement and there was a lot of ins and outs and a lot of weaving and fasting and tears and in prayer, even with them, I say it took two righteous families. It was so beautiful. I remember we came to look at the home, um, and the wife and I, we just talked about God the whole time. Um, and I missed the paint colors and, you know, specific things about the layout, and it just, it just felt like it was about so much more. And uh, there's been so much beauty with this relationship and um, it's just shocking that's what he does like he he does not leave one dark corner when he moves he um, fills it all with light and leaves no stone unturned look at that word that you wrote down one more time. I don't know what this word is. I don't know what your biggest worry is. I don't know what exactly you guys are all going through right now. The Lord does. And I hope that whether through this story or through this passage, that you can see that your posture matters. 
Your posture matters how we approach these worries and how we let go of the things we can't control. And I just want to leave you with the encouragement of wherever you see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know where those convictions are. You know of those things that God is telling you to lean into building his kingdom, lean into following him and loving others well. Seek first his kingdom and all these other things will be added to you as well. So let's pray as we end this service and sing. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for sitting on the throne and giving meaning, purpose, and life to everything that we do. Father, may we release the things to you, knowing that you are in control. Father, will you give us wisdom in just the, the small decisions that have to do this and help us to seek first what you want and what is going to last for eternity. And we know that you will take care of us from there. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.